Hello, I'm Pierre Harbin, your host on Urban Agenda 360, a podcast on Anchor FM focused on sustainable communities planned, built, and managed to promote quality of life for everyone. Today's episode is entitled Living in a State of Pandemic. It is taken from an essay written by Gideon Litchfield for MIT Technology Review entitled, We're Not Going Back to Normal, dated March 17, 2020. Living in a State of Pandemic. Gideon predicts in the short term, this will be hugely damaging to businesses that rely on people's coming together in large numbers. Restaurants, cafes, bars, nightclubs, and gyms, hotels, theaters, cinemas, art galleries, shopping malls, craft fairs, museums, musicians and other performers, sporting venues and sports teams, conference venues and conference producers, cruise lines, airlines, public transportation, private schools, daycare centers. That's to say nothing of the stresses on parents thrust into homeschooling their kids, people trying to care for elderly relatives without exposing them to the virus, people trapped in abusive relationships, and anyone without a financial cushion to deal with savings, swings, and incomes. There'll be some adaptation, of course. Gyms could start selling home equipment and online sessions, for example. We'll see an explosion of new services in what's already been dubbed the shut-in economy. One can also wax hopeful about the way some habits might change. Less carbon burning, travel, more local supply chains, more walking and biking. But the disruption to many, many businesses and livelihoods will be impossible to manage. And the shut-in lifestyle just isn't sustainable for such long periods. So how can we live in this new world Part of the answer, hopefully, will be better healthcare systems with pandemic responses units that can move quickly to identify and contain outbreaks before they start to spread and the ability to quickly ramp up production of medical equipment, testing kits, and drugs. Those will be too late to stop COVID-19, but they'll help with future pandemics. In the near term, we'll probably find awkward compromises that allow us to retain some semblance of a social life. Maybe movie theaters will take out half their seats. Meetings will be held in larger rooms with spaced out chairs and gyms will require you to book workouts ahead of time so they don't get crowded 
Ultimately, however, Gideon predicts that we'll restore the ability to socialize safely by developing more sophisticated ways to identify who is a disease risk and who isn't, and discrimination legally against those who are. We can see harbingers of this in the measures some countries are taking today. Israel is going to use the cell phone location data with which its intelligence services track terrorists to trace people who've been in touch with known carriers of the virus. Singapore does exhaustive contact tracking and publishes detailed data on each known case all but identifying people by name. We don't know exactly what this new future looks like, of course, but one can imagine a world in which to get on a flight, perhaps you'll have to be signed up to a service that tracks your movements via your phone. The airline wouldn't be able to see where you've gone, but it would get an alert if you've been close to known infected people or disease hotspots. There'd be similar requirements at the entrance to large venues, government buildings, or public transport hubs. There would be temperature scanners everywhere and your workplace might demand you wear a monitor that tracks your temperature or vital signs. Where nightclubs ask for proof of age, in the future they might ask for proof of immunity, an identity card, or some kind of digital verification via your phone shown showing you've already recovered from or been vaccinated against the latest virus strands. We'll adapt to and accept such measures much as we've adapted to increasingly stringent airport security screenings in the wake of terrorist attacks, Gideon predicts. But he also says the intrusive surveillance will be considered a small price to pay for the basic freedom to be with other people. As usual, however, the true cost will be borne by the poorest and the weakest, people with less access to health care or who live in more disease-prone areas will now also be more frequently shut out of places and opportunities open to everyone else. Gig workers, from drivers to plumbers, to freelance yoga instructors, will see their jobs become even more precarious. Immigrants, refugees, the undocumented, and ex-convicts will face yet another obstacle to gaining a foothold in society. Moreover, Unless there are strict rules on how someone's risk for disease is accessed, governments or companies could choose any criteria. You're high risk 
if you earn less than $50,000 a year or in a family of more than seven people and live in certain parts of the country, for example. That creates scope for algorithmic bias and hidden discrimination as happened less last year with an algorithm used by U.S. health insurers that turned out to inadvertently favor white people. The world has changed many times and it is changing again. All of us will have to adapt to a new way of living, working, and forging relationships. But as with all changes, there will be some who lose more than most, and they will be the ones who have lost far too much already. The best we can hope for is that the depths of this crisis will finally force countries, the U.S. in particular, to fix their yawning social inequalities that make large swaths of their population so intensely vulnerable.